Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that you have been merciful in giving us another day where we can breathe, where we can enjoy food in our bodies, where we can come also before you and listen to your word preached. Lord, we pray that you may indeed feed us spiritual food this morning. And may we look to your Son all the more as a result of examining your word together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we go through life, we make lots and lots of promises to those around us. Uh, We make small promises and we make big promises. We make promises that are, are less significant to those that are more significant. Even in our home with our children, we've started making promises to them, and some promises are clearly better than others. Uh, Sometimes will be a promise that, okay, yes, you will have your bath last, the other sibling in the house will have to have their bath first, which seems significant to the children, but not that significant to us. Other promises have to do with money, and so we promise uh, if you practice the piano, you get five cents per day, which doesn't sound like much, but it is a significant promise uh, to the person who is practicing the piano, and not too much when you consider uh, that it only costs 35 cents a week to have someone that practices every day. Other promises that we make that concern money have to do with pocket money. And we promise that you'll be $2 at the end of the week if you do your chores and if you are well behaved through the week. And sometimes they even seem more significant, the promises that we make to the children in terms of larger things, such as we promise that you'll get this for your birthday or we promise that you'll get this for Christmas, which is fast approaching. And already uh, people are considering what they will be having for Christmas, even though it is still four months away. This morning we're going to be looking at promises and we're going to be looking at the fact that God has made promises to his people and that there are promises that are superior to promises that were made in the past, particularly in terms of covenants. As we come to Hebrews chapter 8, we've been looking at Jesus, the great high priest, and how he is far greater than priests in the past. And one of the things that the author wants to draw out for us now is that Jesus is far better because of the promise that God has made through him as opposed to the promise that was made in the past through Moses. And we see that in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8. I encourage you to open up your black church Bibles, if you have them there, to page 1189. Open it up to chapter 8 of Hebrews And look with me at verse 6 as we see that Jesus' ministry is superior because of promises. Verse 6 it says, But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, that's the Levitical priests, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. Jesus has a superior Ministry. Why? Because the covenant that he is the mediator of is superior to the covenant that was given to the priesthood in the Old Testament, to the, uh, the Israeli priests, the Israelite priests in the Old Testament. What is a covenant? 
Well, a covenant is a solemn agreement, a contract, we would often use the word today, a contract between two parties and where the two parties have particular responsibilities. Sometimes they're uh, unconditional and that the other party doesn't, res- uh, doesn't have to do anything, but sometimes they are conditional where the two parties agree that if you do this, I will do this. And so a covenant is made between these people, uh, between God and the Israelites in the Old Testament. And now we see through Jesus a new covenant is made. The Old Covenant was mediated through Moses and it was really, in many ways, a covenant of works. So the covenant that was made between the Israelites and God was a covenant of works, that if you do this then God will look after you. If you keep his laws, then God will bless you. If you do not keep his laws, then God will curse you. Now, there is some controversy about the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant given to Moses, and whether it is truly a covenant of works or a part of what is known as the covenant of grace. But we can see many elements, if you look through the law given to Moses, that if you behave rightly... If you keep God's laws, if you work hard and do good works, then God will bless you. But then we come to the New Testament and see a full revelation there that the covenant of Moses is inferior in comparison to the covenant that comes through Jesus Christ. How do we know that there was a problem with the old covenant? Well, the fact that it is an old covenant the fact that a new covenant has come. And that's what verse 7 tells us in Hebrews chapter 8. Look with me at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 8. It says, For if there be nothing wrong with that first covenant, the covenant given to the Israelites, no place would have been sought for another. There was a problem with the old covenant. We know that because a new covenant has been given. Now, what was the problem with the old covenant? What was the problem with the old covenant that meant a new covenant had to be made with people, that a new contract had to be made with God's people rather than simply keeping to the old one. What was the problem? Well, God found fault with the people, with the Israelites. Look at with me at verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 says, But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because, why is he making a new covenant? Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Why was there a need for a new covenant? Well, the Israelites in the Old Testament, when God made a contract with them, a covenant with them, they were meant to keep his laws. What did they do? They weren't faithful. They broke his laws again and again and again. Basically, if you read the Old Testament, one of the major points of it is that God's people are unfaithful. You just follow it from beginning to the end, and so much of their history is given to us of their unfaithfulness that they don't keep God's laws. And what does God continue to do to them as they don't keep his laws? 
He continues to turn away from them. That's what the text says, that in verse 9 it says, and I turned away from them. And you see that if you read the Old Testament, which I encourage you to do, the Bible is all God's word and it is all for our edification, not just the New Testament. The Old Testament is very valuable because it illustrates the unfaithfulness of people and then God's response to those people. And what is the response? He turns away. And you see that in the Old Testament. You see that the Israelites are unfaithful when they're in the promised land and then eventually other nations come in and conquer them. The Assyrians come, the Babylonians then come and the Israelites are taken into exile. Why? Well, the prophets tell us it's because of their unfaithfulness. King after king of Israel was unfaithful to God and as a result, God turns away from them. So then there was a place for a new contract to be made with God's people. A new contract. Because the old contract was broken by God's people again and again and again. So a new contract had to be made. And a new contract that was made on better promises, as it says in verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises. So think of the covenant as a contract that is made but within that contract there are lots of stipulations and lots of promises that are made within this new covenant that God makes with mankind, that he makes with his people. So what are the better promises that God makes in the new covenant well the author doesn't make it up out of his own head he references the word of god in the old testament and we have the largest quote in the uh, from the old testament that's given in the new testament here in hebrews chapter 8 the author quotes from jeremiah the prophet chapter 31 which we just had read for us and in this passage we see the marvelous promises of god that are part of the new covenant Jeremiah prophesied that God would make a new covenant with his people. And in that new covenant, there would be these promises, better promises than the ones that were given in the covenant of works. Remember, in the covenant of works, in the Mosaic one, the promises were, you be good, and if you're not, I will punish you. What are the promises that are made in the new covenant that are given to us by Jeremiah? Well, they're marvelous promises that are given to us. I know Jeremiah is a hard book to read. I struggle to read Jeremiah. I'd be interested to know if anyone here finds Jeremiah one of their favourite books of the Bible. It is a long book. It's the longest book by word count. It, and it's depressing reading what they do to Jeremiah. He's the weeping prophet. He's called the weeping prophet because he's always crying. And he's always going through so much pain as he sees God's people resisting the truth. But there in Jeremiah 31, we have the most marvellous promises of God. And the author of Hebrews knows that and he draws them out and puts them here in Hebrews chapter 8 for you to observe and to see. What are the promises that are given to us in Jeremiah 31 that is then quoted for us in Hebrews chapter 8 that is part of the new covenant? Well, we read them in verse 10 and following. It says... This is the covenant, that's God speaking through the prophet of Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. What does he promise? 
I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. What is one of the promises of the new covenant? That you will have a new mind and a new heart. Under the old covenant, people resisted the truth. They didn't, they didn't want to think about the things of God. They wanted to think about the other things. They wanted to worship idols. And their hearts did not love the truth. But in the new covenant, God gives a new mind and a new heart. What else does he promise? Well, at the end of verse 10, it says, he promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. He makes a promise that you will belong to God. In the Old Testament, the people were continually being uh, taken away from the Lord, that God was turning away from them. Now he will turn to them and they will belong to him. Third promise that we see, verse 11, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What does God promise us under the new covenant? Knowledge of him. Unrestricted knowledge of him. Whereas you see in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, knowledge was very much closely guarded by the priests and the prophets. But here in the New Covenant, God says, I will reveal myself, not through other people, but the inward witness of the Holy Spirit would be there. And so there's this marvellous promise that is given to us there in verse 11. What is another promise that is part of this new contract, this new covenant that God makes through Jesus? Well, verse 12 tells us, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What is this promise? It's a promise of forgiveness. A forgiveness for wickedness, for rebellion against God, that sins will be remembered no more. Whereas we see in the old covenant, sins were not actually atoned for. Even the sacrificial system, the blood of bulls and goats did not take away sin. Whereas in the new covenant, there will be a means for sins to be completely forgiven. So there's this old covenant of works, which a lot of us operate under without even knowing it, where we think if we're a good person, good things will happen to us. But it's broken, it's faulty. There's this new covenant that has then come along because we continue to do bad works. God saw fit to make a new covenant which has these superior promises. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I ask you, why wouldn't you want to be part of this new contract with God, this new covenant that God makes? Do you realize what you are doing if you don't come to Christ? Do you realize what you're doing? You're being unfaithful to God. You're turning away from him, and he will turn away from you. One day he will punish you. He will withdraw his goodness from you. He will turn away from you. And you do not get these promises. They're only given to God's people, to those who are within his covenant. You do not get a new mind. You do not get a new heart. You do not belong to God's family, to his people. You do not get the greater knowledge of God. And you are not forgiven for your wickedness. God remembers your sins. He does not forget them. And if this is the way you wish to go, you miss out on those promises, but you should also realize that you are part of a covenant that is fading, that is obsolete. Verse 13 tells us this. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 8 says, By calling this covenant new, that's the one through Jesus, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Verse 14 
the first covenant that God made, we term it a covenant of works, broadly speaking, it's obsolete, it's fading. It is not the way to eternal life because you cannot keep God's laws. You break them again and again and so you fail to keep the terms of the covenant. And that covenant is obsolete and ageing. It will eventually disappear. There is no alternative. There's only the new covenant if you want to have eternal life. There is no other way. And so we need to upgrade. We need to jump on board with the new covenant. Now, I know for some people it's hard to undergo change, to upgrade. Old habits die slowly for some of us. Pretty much all of us at some, in some extent. Some of us like the new. We like new things. But generally speaking, we like to hold on to the old. But we've got to come to recognise that with some things, we need to recognise they're obsolete and upgrade. We do this from time to time with things in our households. Think about your first computer. Some of you haven't even had a computer ever. But generally speaking, most of us here have had a computer in our lives at some point, some sort of laptop, some sort of PC. Think about your first computer. It was very nice when you got it. But eventually, you have problems with the computer. Something fails within it, some sort of piece of hardware, and you then have an uh, opportunity to work out what you're going to do. Do you upgrade what's within the computer? Uh, Do you replace a part? Do you repair it in some way? And for some of us, we like to think, oh, yes, I'll repair it. I don't need to buy a new one yet. And so we repair it and we say, she'll be right, mate, and keep going on with this piece of equipment that is causing us grief. It's not functioning in the way it used to. But eventually we get to a point, and I think this happens with all of us, for all computers, we get to a point where we just cannot continue using it any longer because operating systems upgrade and it just gets more and more sluggish. It takes more and more time to do anything. It used to be that you would turn it on and have a coffee while it booted. Now you have to turn it on and have breakfast while it boots before you can do anything with it. And eventually you realise it is an obsolete piece of equipment. And you come to that point where you say, I really need to upgrade. I really need to move on. I really need to go on to something that is better. And you do. Or you kick computers off out of your life altogether. But you eventually come to the point, generally speaking, that you need to upgrade. You need something better. And so you take that, you you purchase it, you, you make the change as hard as it is, and it's a bit awkward at first to adjust, but then you start to enjoy the new computer. And you start to use it and take advantage of it. But what happens to that old one? Well, you might keep it around for a bit, thinking, oh, I might use it again someday. But eventually, we recognise it's obsolete, it's ageing, and it soon, if you're good at throwing things out, disappears. And that's what it's saying here in verse 13 about the new covenant, uh, the old covenant. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and ageing will soon disappear. Soon that old computer that no longer performs as it should have, it disappears from your home and you upgrade and you enjoy the upgrade in time and love the fact that you've moved on. 
And this is what we need to do when it comes to the new covenant that God has made, that God offers to humanity. If you don't come to Christ for the new covenant, then you are foolishly hanging on to an obsolete hope. A hope that if I'm good, God will be good to me. If I'm good enough, he will let me into heaven. But we never are good enough. We're meant to be 100% perfect. And we fail again and again to do that. And one day, that hope that we have will disappear altogether. That contract will no longer be there. Because God will send his son to return. And there'll be those in the new covenant. And then those who are outside the new covenant... And they will be eternally damned. Now you might be saying, okay, God had this old covenant. Now he's got a new one. Why should I embrace the new one? Won't the new one have problems with it? And in time God will have to make another new covenant with with, with humanity. Why should I upgrade? And we sometimes think that about our computers. If I upgrade my computer, how long will it be before that one is obsolete and I need to upgrade again? And there's this ongoing cycle with computers where you're continually having to upgrade. Well, I can assure you that that won't happen with the new covenant. Why? Because the new covenant isn't dependent upon you. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ and his work. The old covenant was dependent upon you and your response to God's word. And of course we fail. We're sinful creatures. We fail again and again. But the new covenant is made on Jesus Christ's work. It's a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works. It's all about God's grace. And so God will continue to exercise his grace to you in this world And in the next, if you come into the new covenant, you can become part of that covenant of grace that God introduced way back in the garden after the fall. He he promised it there. And then, of course, he revealed it in a far greater way to Abraham. And we come in it through the new covenant mediated through Jesus Christ. And so there's no opportunity for failure for this new covenant because it all depends upon God and his grace. And his grace is never failing. We have nothing to fear that there will be a newer covenant that we then need to become a part of at some point. That this one will be obsolete and ageing and soon disappear one day. No, this covenant will never disappear because it's dependent upon God's grace. All you have to do to be part of the covenant is trust in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not dependent upon your works. It's dependent upon your trust in Jesus Christ. Whether you believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross. And so if you're not a Christian, I encourage you now, don't leave it any longer. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and become part of this new covenant which will never be obsolete, never age, never disappear and fade away. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you this morning to never forget the promises that you have in Christ. These promises here in Hebrews chapter 8 that are quoted from Jeremiah 31 are so marvellous. They're so wonderful. And we can so easily forget things as the world rushes on, as our troubles come in week by week. 
We forget what we have in Christ. And so it's good to be reminded from a passage like this, the marvellous promises of God that have been made to us if we are within Christ, if we are within his new covenant. What are the promises that we have? Well, we've looked at them briefly, but I'll look at them again. You have a new mind and a new heart. Isn't that wonderful? That you can think rightly for a change as a Christian. That you can think proper thoughts. Yes, you still have bad thoughts, but you can think right thoughts, whereas a non-Christian is always thinking about themselves or somebody else, which now you can think rightly, and you can actually love to do right and to think about right things. You have not just a new mind, but a new heart. And what do we often associate with the heart? We associate with love and desire. God has given us a new mind so we think rightly. Then he's given us a new heart so that we actually love what is right. You don't just know what is right, you love to do what is right. And this is a God-given gift in his promises within this new covenant that he has made with you if you belong to him. What are the other promises that we have? Well, in the new covenant, then we also see that we're assured that we don't just have God's laws in our minds and written on our hearts, but that we are God's people. It says there in verse 10, I will be their God and they will be my people. What does that mean? Well, in one sense it means that he is king and we are his citizens. But the New Testament opens up to us how close we are to God, how much we are his people. What are the other allusions that are used to describe God's people in the New Testament? He describes us as his family, that he is our father and we are his sons and daughters. We have this close relationship. Think about the leader of this nation. How well do you know the Prime Minister of Australia? Yes, he's your Prime Minister. You're a citizen of the country. How well do you know him? Well, if you think of God simply as a king and you're a citizen, that may be what you start to think about God. He's very distant, as well as you know the Prime Minister of Australia is how well you know God. But if you know that you know God as a father... That's far different. Think about your father. How well do you know your father? Pretty well, generally speaking. I know some of us can be estranged. We may have had our father pass away while we're young, but generally speaking, we know that if we're in a family with someone, we know them very well. And they know us and they're protective of us. Think of a father and the way he'll protect his children. And that is how God thinks of you. You're a son and daughter in his family. And that is a promise that he has made. In the new covenant that he has made, he has contracted with you that you will be his son, you will be his daughter, and he will look after you. But the New Testament goes even further than that. He describes us as his bride. Yes, we have a very close relationship with our children. A father does with his children. But there's a far closer relationship in this world. What is that? The relationship of a husband and wife. My relationship with my wife is far greater than my relationship with my children. And one of the greatest things I can tell my children is that I actually do have a greater relationship with her. It gives stability in the home, that the children are not prioritised above my wife. My wife is first and foremost in my life, above my relationship with my parents, above my relationship with my kids, above my relationships with anyone around me. And that is how God treats us. You thought God was protective as a father. Wait until you understand that he's protective as a husband. But that is one of the 
better promises that God has given us in the new covenant. What else do we have in the new covenant? What other promises do we have? We have a promise that we'll have a mind and a new heart. We promise that we will belong to him, that he will be our God and we will be his people. What else does he promise? He promises in the new covenant that we'll have a knowledge of him without restriction. Verse 11, it says, No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This is a marvellous promise of God, that God gives you knowledge direct. It doesn't come through some other medium. Yes, people, God can use someone like me preaching up the front here, but he can directly upload. I'm using lots of computer illustrations this morning. Some of you will get them. Many of you, I hope, will get them. Otherwise, I wouldn't use them. But God directly uploads into your mind the things of God. It's like that... Uh, movie The Matrix with uh, Kenny Reeves the main character's Neo and at one point he gets an upgrade he's there and they're able to somehow work with his mind it's a very complicated sci-fi movie they plug him into a computer and they can upload piloting skills, he can suddenly fly a helicopter or a plane because they just upload the information to his head, he doesn't have to go through all the training and the experience and the learning they just upload, and he wakes up at one point and says, I know Kung Fu. And they've uploaded the martial arts of Kung Fu to him, and he can just start doing it. He doesn't need someone to teach him. It's uploaded direct. And that's what God does to us with knowledge of himself. Yes, we find out about him through his word, but by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, we know so much about him. There is no restriction placed upon God's people that they have to go somewhere to find out about God. No, when he gives you his Holy Spirit, he uploads the truth direct to you. This is unlike other religions like Scientology where you have to gradually find out more or the cults of Freemasonry where you're gradually given information. No, with Christianity... God's Spirit gives you information. He inwardly witnesses with the Holy Spirit, which means that you can be a new believer and understand the things of God far greater than someone who has been following God for decades. They have been following in a very shallow way, but you as a new believer can understand something. Maybe they understand things better than you about other aspects, but you can confront a mature believer and say, you are in sin when you do that even if you're a new believer. There's no restriction. Even on age, a child can confront an adult on their behaviour. Children, do you understand that if you are a Christian, you can be more mature in the things of God than someone who is an adult? Now, I've got to be careful here because children often think they know more than everybody else. But in one sense, it's true in Christianity. It can be the case that you can know better than your parents do about something. Why? Because you're a Christian, particularly if you're a, a Christian child in a non-Christian home. Why is that? 
because of what it says in verse 11. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Doesn't matter societal status, how much money you have, what age you are. From the least to the greatest, you can know the Lord. This is a promise of God within the new covenant. And it's a marvellous promise that he has given us. And we can worship him accordingly. What else is another promise that is given to us under the new covenant? Well, verse 12 tells us. It talks about the forgiveness of sins. For I will forgive their wickedness, he says, and will remember their sins no more. This is a phenomenal promise that God gives us to us and gives to us in the new covenant. Sins are no longer remembered by God. Just think this last week. Consider your sins. What you've done to your family, what you've done in your workplace, what you did to a stranger. Maybe you didn't actually see them, but maybe whilst driving. What have you done in this last week that is sinful, that is rebellious against God? What have you done directly to God? Ignoring him? Sinning blatantly in front of him without care? Consider your sins. And then consider the fact that you remember them But God promises not to remember them. Now, of course, God is omniscient. He knows all things. But what he's saying here here, in this place is that he does not hold them against you. It is as good as though they're no longer in his memory. You remember them. And you may remember them for many years to come. There's sins that I think about that I committed when I was younger. And we opened a um, service this morning with uh, Psalm 25 where he says, um, forgive us the sins of our youth. And we often think back to things that we did when we were younger and we remember our sins. But God promises us that he does not remember them. He will not hold us to account for them. He forgives us our wickedness. And this is wonderful. I mean, for some of us, we start to think, oh, well, this is normal. God, of course, forgives us for what we do wrong. But it's never normal. We should never take it for granted that God forgives us our wickedness. This is a marvellous promise of God, that our sins are forgiven. So we see here multiple promises within the new covenant that should lead us to praise the Lord. And then we should also consider that these promises aren't completely fulfilled. We've got a taste of them now. But the best is yet to come. In heaven you'll have a mind that doesn't think wrong at all anymore. In heaven, you will have a heart that desires right continually. In heaven, you will have a face-to-face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In heaven, you will have ever-increasing knowledge. And in heaven, God will forgive us our wickedness in a way that we don't experience here because we won't be wicked any longer. There won't be an ongoing forgiveness required. These promises haven't even been fully fulfilled yet in us. What joy the new covenant should bring us to have. Oh, to be given such marvellous promises by God. And they're all for free. This upgrade that you can have is for free. And it is far better than the free upgrade that Windows 10 gave out for a year. 
you don't know what Windows 10 is, don't worry about it. But I, didn't, I rejected their free upgrade. But I haven't rejected the free upgrade that God has given us in the new covenant because it comes with such marvellous promises that are listed here and throughout the scriptures. Over morning tea this morning, if you're a believer, and hopefully you might stay for church lunch as well, as you talk to people, why don't you tell them which of these four items that I've raised here this morning you love at this particular time the most? Is it that you love that you have a new mind and a new heart? Is it you love that you are part of God's people in a special way? Is it that you love that you have knowledge from God? Or is it that you love that you have your wickedness forgiven and your sins remembered no more? Ask someone, what do they love best about being a Christian? It's one of the things that I'll be asking Ray tonight at church, at the prayer service. What do you love about being a Christian? Here are four good reasons for being a Christian. What do you love about being a Christian? And why don't you share it with someone over morning tea this morning? Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has made a new covenant. And Lord, we thank you that it is founded on better promises, that we can have new minds, new hearts, that we can be your people in a very special way, that we can have great knowledge of you, from the least of us to the greatest, and that we also have forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that we would never forget these things. And if there is anyone amongst us this morning who is not a believer, who has not embraced the new covenant, Lord, we pray that you would give them repentance and faith this morning so they become a sharer in this marvellous hope that we have. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.